salvation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Our scriptures today speak of us of wisdom. They come from Proverbs, from James, and from the Gospel according to Mark. Proverbs describes wisdom as calling out to the wisdom buried deep within the people of their time. Unfortunately, wisdom doesn't get a good response. James describes the wisdom of deep thoughtfulness using whatever power you have to influence, whatever power you have to hurt, whatever power you have, including the power of speech, using it carefully, thoughtfully, wisely. And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus describes the wisdom of deep faithfulness in relation to the cross, the cross that he himself bore and transformed and asks us as his disciples to follow that journey, the wisdom of Christian engagement with its reality is the wisdom of faith and of hope and of strength and of God's grace. Wisdom speaks out to us today about how to navigate the balance, the wrestling between so much ignorance in the midst of so much information. Wisdom speaks out to us today in the balance, the wrestling of how to use whatever amount of power we have, how to choose kindness. And yet so many times people choose cruelty even when kindness is so much easier. Wisdom speaks out to us today to help us navigate the balance, the wrestling, the dance between so much sorrow and so much joy in our world and how to carry them as a people of faith, as disciples of Christ, how to carry that sorrow and that joy simultaneously without letting sorrow weigh you down or joy blind you to others' burdens. We need to be ready for the good news and not be afraid to enter into the bad. <coughs> for Christ teaches us how to do that. Models for us, transforming an instrument of hate and death into a sign of new life and the power of God's love. 
that instrument, of course, being the cross. There was a dad who wrote about his young son who got into the car one day after school, and the son said, Dad, do you want me to throw some glitter? And the dad, sort of irritated, said, No, no, no confetti in the car, no confetti in the car. After a beat, he said, Son, why do you have confetti? And, and the son said, It's my emergency confetti, Dad. I have it all the time in my pocket just in case we hear some good news. <laughs> then he felt kind of bad about saying no, but he did. The love of God teaches us perhaps Maybe wisdom teaches us to have that confetti, that emergency confetti for when we hear good news in one pocket. But don't forget the tissues for the hardships in the other. Of course, yesterday was the anniversary, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. There was a lot of need to carry pain and to carry on on that day and the days after that. There was a lot of ignorance being cried in the public square, a lot of pain being meted out against those who didn't deserve it. I want to tell you a little bit about my story for those who have heard it. Um, Bear with me. It is a story of encountering, experiencing that day with both extremes of utmost joy and bitter sorrow. I lived in Washington, D.C. I worked as the senior associate at St. John's Episcopal Church in Lafayette Square, the church right across the street from the White House. My office windows looked out onto Lafayette Square, looked at the White House and beyond, across the Potomac River, towards the Pentagon. I couldn't see it, but I knew it was there. Around 8.30 a.m. that morning, 20 years ago, I got a phone call, and yes, it was a landline. It was 20 years ago. <laughs> And I answered it, and it was the doctor confirming what I already knew and what I longed for, what I hoped for. Confirming that I was pregnant with my first child. And I received that news with joy. It was news that was welcome to us. So I got into my car, sort of humming, and I turned on the radio. And I was on my way to work, and Eastern Standard Time, 8.46, 16 minutes after I received best news of my life, there was a strange report about a, a plane being flown into one of the towers in New York City where I had served and studied in seminary.
I looked up at the sky and I was like, but it's a beautiful day. The sky was bright blue and clear. It was a beautiful day and it just didn't click. It must have been a malfunction, some kind of navigational equipment malfunction. So I, I got to our little parking lot in St. John's and walked into the office right after the second plane hit the second tower. And the staff and the clergy there, there were four of us clergy at St. John's. They were, we were all talking about it. Now it couldn't be a mistake. And remember that we didn't all have cell phones back then. And St. John's was a historic church and wasn't the TVs weren't hooked up to cable. So news was kind of old school, word of mouth. Somebody heard about it. Somebody got a call. Somebody was listening to the radio. We had a funeral that morning, a small funeral, which only one of us was leading. And that started at 9.30. So those of us who weren't involved in that liturgy ran across the street, down the street a little bit, to the, the United Press building, where they did have monitors and had the news going. And we could watch and try to figure out what was going on. Some parishioners had showed up at the church and they went with us. But we just couldn't comprehend the news. As we were walking back across the street to the church, at 9.36, the plane hit the Pentagon. We didn't know what to do. We went into our offices, and I could see the smoke rising, that black smoke rising from the Pentagon. I could see it from my office windows. I just instinctively held my belly. And we were stuck there. We were stuck there. We couldn't leave our colleague or the family. And I could see not only the smoke from my window, but thousands of federal employees coming out of the building, out of the White House, just as if on a march, streaming past the church, evacuating. hear the strains of amazing grace coming from inside the church. At 9.59, the South Tower collapsed. And then you know what happened next. 10.07, Flight 9 crashes into Pennsylvania. At 10.28, the North Tower collapses. At 10.35, the funeral ends. And we usher the family out into terrible traffic and some panic. And we all figured out how we would get home. It was bumper to bumper. The metro was closed. So I walked a few miles from the church to my house. Some man who I noticed from, recognized from the streets kept yelling over and over again in the march, Bin Laden has come to town, folks. Bin Laden has come to town. And again, as I walked with all the strangers, I held 
my belly and thought, was it wise to bring a child into this kind of world? Of course, the answer was yes, and that was our choice. Our choice, our delight. We wanted this child. We wanted to bring up this gift. We had the means, and we made that choice knowledgeably. Wisdom tells us Wisdom tells us in our scriptures today and in our experiences of tragedy and in our experiences of receiving God-given gifts and our most secret desires fulfilled, our longings for love granted, Wisdom tells us that yes, even in a world such as this, we are to keep on keeping on. Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, when Peter didn't want Jesus to suffer. Wisdom tells us there will be suffering, and as that hymn so beautifully said, take up your cross, let not its weight fill your weak spirit with alarm. His strength shall bear your spirit up and brace your heart and nerve your arm. Last weekend I was at a festival of justice and faith and art and spirituality called the Wild Goose Festival. And the Wild Goose image was taken from Iona, spirit, well, from Celtic spirituality, in which sometimes the wild goat, the Holy Spirit was referred to as the Wild Goose. Now, who here thinks a goose is a nice animal? Okay, they're not nice. So it's a little odd when people learn or talk about the Holy Spirit as a wild goose. But the Holy Spirit is not always soft and cuddly. Poet Mary Oliver who is also, I believe, an Episcopalian, a woman of faith, wrote this poem about wild geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you about mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. 
Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving along the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, over the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clear blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting. Over and over, announcing to you your place in the family of things. Your place, our place in the family of things, dear friends, as we contemplate that which is tragic and hard to understand, as well as receive the gifts and the joys of that which is pure grace, your place, our place in the family of things is praising, persevering, walking with God, walking with Christ, following, bearing and transforming the cross with each other, carrying our burdens and others, all the time confessing the love, the strength, and the will of God for us to be. Amen.